the house that we bought that we really couldn't afford to begin with <laughs> that was in the district that my son needed. Um, we were living in them. We got divorced and, and I was still in the house with my mom and my son and our cat. And, um, and I did that for a year after the, the divorce and it was just too difficult for me to manage that. I was sitting down kind of running through the numbers and I was like, and my mom had just moved out and I was like, this is just not sustainable. Um, and so I, um, I literally cried myself to sleep that night. Cause it was just like, I knew, and I texted my ex-husband, I was like, we got to tell Will, like my son and I, I told him when we sell the house, we'll have more, you know, disposable income and we could do some other things instead of being like tied to the house. So we went on a trip to universal and just he and I universal studios. And then he wanted hit so much fun. He wanted to go back you know, and those moments were able to happen because I didn't have the expensive home, you know, and we, and we have less and, you know, we don't need as much as we did. And so, yeah, it was the right choice. Um, you know, probably should have done it sooner, but, um, it was everything. I always feel like everything happens at the right time. Welcome to Real Stories, Journeys of Financial Wellness. I'm your host, Crystal Lugazima. I've always been attracted to podcasts that give people a platform to be vulnerable when it comes to their money experiences. Long before this podcast was born, our next guest, Shannon McClay, was a pioneer. Her podcast, Martinis and Your Money, has been going strong for seven years and 400 episodes. On her show, Shannon is not shy about talking about her own challenges. I invited her to be a guest because I think her experiences give us two opportunities to learn. As with all of our guests, she has a unique financial journey that has a lot of ups and downs. And as someone who speaks to others working on their financial goals, she has a lot of great advice based on those conversations. Shannon alludes to the fact that one's problems can be similar, even if the zeros are different. Shannon is the founder and CEO of a startup company, so her finances might have more zeros. But as you listen to Shannon's story, consider how her emotional journey might be similar to yours. Before we get started with our interview, I'd like to bring in my co-host, Amari. You know, as we put together each episode, he's one of my team members who helps me with the editing. As we listen to the podcast interviews, we often have lively discussions off microphone, and this one in particular inspired a lengthy chat. Amari, how might our listeners use this episode as a springboard to a money discussion with a friend or family member? There were definitely some some uh, spirited conversations that we had uh, while listening to this episode, listening to this journey. Uh, I would say that the thing that stands out to me as someone who is a Michigander, um, uh, recognizing the different levels of income uh, and how even if you're if you are someone that by a Michigander's perspective may be a high earner. Um, that doesn't completely absolve you from having to deal with managing your finances and having even some financial struggles in terms of uh, keeping track of your budget and making sure that you're able to make ends meet. Um, and also being a counselor who has counseled folks all over the United States, I recognize that different parts of the United States have different uh, earning or the, the cost of living is significantly higher in some areas than it might be in others. Um, and as a result, there are folks that are high earners by some standards, but still have many of the same struggles that those of us who may live in the Midwest, for example, where the cost of living is a little bit lower. 
Um, so having this point of reference uh, is sort of a, a humanizing experience to help us understand that even if we may be feeling uncomfortable, um, that uh, all of us have to deal with making sure that our financial households are in order. Um, and that's definitely something that's probably the biggest thing that I got out of this episode. Yeah. And, and, I, and I think as you listen to today's story, you'll see that Shannon actually ends up at so many different crossroads that uh, the, the people that we talk to every day face, whether it's uh, questions and challenges related to uh, buying a car, buying and selling a house, moving in a rental situation, switching jobs, switching careers, dealing with family issues, dealing with divorce. Um, and so even though the the numbers, again, are, are, are going to be unique to her particular situation, all the emotion, all the decision points that she faces um, is, is hopefully something that might resonate with others um, as, as they hear her story. Without further ado, let's take a listen to my interview with Shannon McClay from The Financial Gym. Shannon, welcome to Real Stories. So glad that you could join us here today. Um, I, I'm going to be excited to jump into your personal journey when it comes to your personal finance. Uh, but before we get into that, I'd love to learn more about your business, The Financial Gym. Um, and so first, let's start off with what is it and what was the inspiration for it? So The Financial Gym is a place where people of all financial shapes and sizes can get financially healthy. Um, and it's a physical place and a virtual place. Um, the last 20 months of the pandemic have um, have uh, made us be nimble. So we, we've always worked with clients both, though, both virtually and in person. And I had the idea for creating a an all-inclusive space for people of all financial shapes and sizes when I was a financial advisor at Merrill Lynch. And um, to work with me at Merrill Lynch, you had to have 250000 in assets. So that was a very exclusive gym. <laughs> um, and a, a gym space I didn't think should be only available for people who had wealth. I, I was learning as a financial advisor so many financial planning tools and techniques and resources to give to people. And it felt very frustrating that to share that you had to have 250,000 in assets. So um, we could all have so many options to get physically healthy and go there and know it's a safe place where we can go. But if people wanted to get financially healthy, you know, where would they go? I thought, where would you go to get financially healthy? And I thought you go to a financial gym. And I saw it very clearly eight years ago. I said, it's like H&R Block, but fun and cool. And advisors are trainers and they wear jeans and t-shirts and, um, and anybody can go there. It doesn't matter if you have $2 in the bank or $200,000 in the bank. Um, you know, you're welcome. And we can, um, you know, work with anybody. And just like you pay monthly membership fee for a gym, we pay a monthly membership fee for our gym. So that was eight years ago. Um, knew nothing about starting a business, knew nothing about entrepreneurship. Um, I had spent most of my career working for a big bank. And um, so I just uh, went on this wild and crazy journey. And here I am eight years later, we have four gym locations and we've worked with tens of thousands of people at this point and literally of all financial shapes and sizes. So 
we've had clients start with us with negative, negative dollars in their bank accounts because of bank overdraft fees and the like. And then we've had clients, you know, with millions and we've had clients with no, no debt and we've had clients with seven figures of debt um, between student loans and mortgages. And then we've had clients earning nothing or next to nothing. Maybe they're unemployed or starting a job or starting a business and to clients making seven figures. And um, as our youngest client was, is was now they've aged, but 17 and our oldest is 75, I think. I was just curious, what did you learn about money growing up? I always tell people, I'm like most people, I didn't really learn about money growing up. Um, you know, my parents didn't talk about it. My parents were divorced and um, I grew up with my mom and my stepfather and we had five kids in the house. And I knew, um, I knew we didn't have a lot of money. We're in a very blue collar neighborhood. I started working when I was 14. And once I started working, I had to pay for my own things and things like that. Like, um, but I didn't really know a lot about the family finances and we didn't talk about it. Um, I've since asked both my parents why we never talked about money when I was younger. My dad's response was that he didn't think I needed to know about it. Um, or he didn't think there was anything he could really teach me. And my mom was like, I did everything wrong. So how was I going to, I knew I was not doing not good with money. So what was I going to teach you? And, um, so we didn't really talk about it. And most, most people grow up not talking about it in the home because it's still a taboo topic. People don't feel really comfortable. Um, even we see it, even financially fit people at the gym are still insecure about the choices they're making about their finances. So you know, not everybody feels really confident about it. So you don't feel confident about talking about it and teaching it to your kids. Um, but yet it impacts everybody. It's like not speaking a language that we're all going to have to speak at some point. And we have no language classes and no, not, we're not speaking it in the home. And yet we're going to have to go out and speak this language because we are all impacted by it at some point. So I'm curious then, like, how does it flip around with, with your son? Um, how, how old is he now? Will is 15. So I have done the exact opposite of my parents. And all I do is talk about money with my kid um, all the time. Um, we, uh, since he was five and I went on this journey to start the gym, I had been, well, before that, when I was a financial advisor at Merrill, we started talking to him about it, you know, from when he was five. And there's different conversations as they age and there's age appropriate conversations, but, um, we're always taught it's very normalized. Like he knows how much I make. Um, you know, my salary at the gym is a hundred thousand dollars. Um, and you know, he knows that he knows I can make more doing other things. <laughs> uh, but this is, you know, this is like the family business at this point. He's I've been doing this since he was so little that, um, you know, he understands about the business finances. He understands what's going on there. We, we communicate about it. It's very, it's, it's normal. So I've taken the exact opposite approach of my parents. Really cool. And now, as you, as you said, money wasn't talked a lot about in your case growing up. Um, what was your mindset when it came to money post-college? I always knew how to make it. And I always knew I was going to make a lot of it. Um, and I tell people that I didn't have like the training in finances and personal finances that, you know, for my family, but the big uh, financial lesson that I learned from both my parents was actually the value of hard work. And they both were extremely hardworking, came from, you know, the, um, inner city, both of them and worked their way through that. My mom became a nurse. My dad became a doctor. And, um, 
and I saw the value of hard work. And so I always knew that I, you know, I could work hard and, and make money. And I've never been afraid of the hard work, which is a component of getting financially healthy. You've got to put work into whatever it is. And so, um, so that was my thing. And when I went to college, I knew I was going to be a business major. Um, I knew I wanted to make money. Um, that was my focus. And I did not want to have to go through uh, three more years to get a law degree. I didn't want to have to go through however many more years to become a doctor. Was a business major, became a business major, had internships, had five job offers by Thanksgiving of my senior year. And um, and I started working on a trading floor at Bank of America at 22. And that was it. I was like, and for the next eight years of my life, I told people I wasn't changing the world. I was just making money and I was good at it. So was the other side of the equation on the expense side, was that really front of mind or was it just making the money and the rest will kind of fall into place? Yeah. I, um, I was like a lot of our clients and a lot of people that I did not really have credit card debt. So I just assumed I was good with finances. Um, and there were some things I kind of slid into naturally and was good with finances. I, I got a credit card in college and I just somehow always knew pay it off all the time. Like that was a thing. So I always had great credit. Um, and, and I always paid off the cards, but I, but you know, in hindsight, I'm like, well, cards didn't always have to be that high. And I probably shouldn't have used my bonuses to pay off credit cards, um, which was a common theme. And it's a common theme for a lot of our clients. We see, you know, they'll spend up and then it's like, well, we have a bonus coming. And it's like, well, imagine if we lived and on our income and the bonus was actually a bonus. Um, you know, but I, I didn't do that. And, um, and I contributed, I maxed out my 401k and I thought, I'm good. I'm maxing my 401k. I don't have credit card debt. I have great credit score. So I'm doing good. Um, but I could have been doing much better and, um, and I didn't realize it. And, you know, things you don't realize that when you're a high earner too, is that maxing out your 401k because there's 401k limits. It's like, well, I should have been saving more than that. I could have saved more than that, but I didn't. So, um, you know, all these lessons led into, um, the gym and, you know, I, my mission in life is really to, um, make the financial lives of other people easier. And a lot of times it's because of the, the things that, and the choices I made, you know, you don't want to make, you don't want somebody to make the same mistakes you made. And I always say there's no mistakes in life, only lessons. So, you know, I just like people to learn lessons, not as hard, you know, not have as many hard lessons in life. Planning to spend the bonus even before it comes in. Mm -hmm. Um, how would you handle that kind of situation now, or or how do you advise your your clients that do have bonuses in terms of how to fit it into their budget? Yeah, we're always trying to get our clients to live um, below their means, below their income, and to create a gap in that. And it, we we want to create at least a twenty percent gap where we're saving somewhere between fifteen to twenty percent of your income. Um, that's like step one. And then it's, you know, can we create more space and more space? You know, I've had some clients where we've started with, you know, 0% gap to the point where they're saving 70% of their income, you know, depending on their, their scene, but we're always trying to push to do a little bit more. So, um, it's always getting them to the point where they're living somewhere below their income. And that's on a regular basis. Like we want our clients that 
to make the choices, the choices that they're making that are building to that monthly expenses, to the monthly expenses, we want those to add up to less than the paychecks, um, hopefully significantly less, um, and that we're saving some because that means our day-to-day lifestyle we can support and you know we don't need the bonuses. Um, and then the bonuses, you know, that when they come in, then it's like, okay, then we could decide, do we pay more toward debt? Do we pay down the house? Do we pay off the student loans more? Do we plan the vacation? Like, then we have the flexibility when that bonus cash comes in, instead of after the fact, we're like, oh, we need to use the bonus to pay off the credit cards because we already spent it. We try to get our clients ahead of that. Um, it does get more challenging when people have children. Um, and, you know, and the lifestyle, it, it, I mean, it, it kills me. Sometimes I see, I have, I've got a couple right now. They have, they just had their second child and two daycares are costing $3,000 a month. And it's like, how are you going to get ahead when you've got a whole other, essentially a very expensive mortgage or, um, second rent or whatever that, you know, you're stuck with. And it's, it's very challenging, you know, even where clients with, you know, decent income. And, um, and so, you know, they were able to save through the first child. Now the second child's here. Now the second daycare is here and it's getting really tough. So, you know, my message to them is like, let's just try to not get into credit card debt. Let's just try to like break even at the end of the year. And then he does get a bonus pretty consistently. And I'm like, and then when the bonus comes in, that could like, that's the savings, but it's very difficult for them to save on a regular basis now with the second kid. You've shared about the time that you bought a car after paying off an existing car. So I was wondering if you could tell us more about that. And more importantly, what advice would you have had for your younger self after this had happened? Yeah, I have so many. I I, I tell people all the time, I have been all of our clients at different stages. Um, so I, anybody, I've, I've made decisions and and choices that a number of people make all the time. And, and and you can justify any decision you make, really. It's very easy. And so for me, um, yes, I paid off a car and it was it was a Kia Sophia. And it wasn't like the fanciest car. Now I'm working on the trading floor, right? And everybody I work with has a nice car and you know the Porsches and the Mercedes and the BMWs and um you know I'm pulling up in the Kia, which is a car I got in college. And, um, and I just, uh, you just start having those feelings of like inadequacy over your car and, um, you know, and then you start making more money and you're like, well, I can afford, you know, another car or, and I got a bonus and I was like, Oh, I'm going to get another car. And I didn't even get like a really fancy car. I got a Honda Accord. I mean, but it was nicer and, and newer and it looked you know, had a little more bells and whistles. And, um, and, you know, that was one of thousands of decisions that probably should have gone another way. The, the Kia was in totally great shape. It was a great car. Right? I mean, and again, it was paid off, but why not? Why not get a new car? Cause you At could. The time. I won't knock nice. Kias. I have a Kia myself now, but okay. <laughs> um, So as your income continued to grow, I understand you felt like you weren't making enough at the time. So now thinking back, do you think that feeling was a good thing, a bad thing, a little bit of both? Yeah, I, I, there's lifestyle inflation is very real. And I also call it, you know, the golden it's, it's called the golden handcuffs syndrome or, you know, feeling like you're a salary hostage. Like you make choices in your life and, you know, the fixed expenses keep growing. 
um, while you're, you know, a lot of times the lifestyle inflation, like the income grows, you, you get the bigger house or, you know, the other car and everything just keeps adding up. And you have this feeling of like, you know, I'm spending everything I make because you've just like lifestyle inflated everything. And, um, and, you know, big issue and challenge with that was having my child. Um, you know, we, uh, we had my son and didn't make any real changes in our finances. And yet a child contributes a lot more expenses that you don't plan on. And, you know, what, after he was born, that's when we started seeing a little more issues with the credit card payments or, you know, it just would build up, um, a little bit more always paying them down, but it was like always a little bit harder. It felt like, and everything felt like a little bit harder. And it was like, we really weren't making any sacrifices or changing in our budget. And we added on, you know, he was at least a $1,500 a month expense between daycare and, um, you know, other kid related expenses. And, um, and we weren't really adjusting for that. So, um, so yeah, there were a lot of reasons why I felt like I was, not making enough and living paycheck to paycheck. I could have had other jobs in finance that made more. So there was uh, that opportunity. And it's also challenging being in a career where you can see a potential path for significantly more money. Then you just kind of justify those lifestyle choices because you're like, well, I'll get promoted to, you know, senior VP next. And that comes with a salary bump and that comes with a bonus bump. And you just sort of start justifying it. And you're, you're like literally future taxing, you know, your future self already before it even happens. So, um, and we see that a lot at the gym and in certain industries where there are, there are high earners and it's usually like in law firms and hospitals in investment banks or, or financial services, when there's a number of people who are making significant money or money can be significant money can be made. It's very distorting for your own personal finances. Speaking of buying a car, a quick little bonus for our listeners who might be considering a car purchase in the future. We created a free 10 minute online course called navigating auto buying. It's available in our learning lab. Buying a car can be a decision that may feel simultaneously exciting, intimidating, and confusing. The course covers action steps you can take to feel prepared, including how to find the financing option that best fits your budget and how to determine the best loan for you. Learn more at www.greenpath.com slash learning lab. So you have had some success uh, negotiating your salary over the years. Now, in this case, in the current state, you own the business, so I'm yeah. sure you could be really good at negotiating the salary uh, if yeah. you needed to. The but worst, would you want uh, the to? worst boss. Yeah, she doesn't want to pay me anything. <laughs> Thinking back to before then, um, what advice would you give to others in this space when it comes to negotiating salary? Salary negotiation is always um, possible and always something you should do. I always say your um, relationship with your employer is that it is a relationship. You are providing, um, value and service to them and they're receiving value and service. And you both want to be aligned on the value of the service you're providing. And, um, you know, and asking for that, asking for more, asking for what you're worth from who is employing you, um, is a really important part of that relationship. And, you know, I tell people, don't be afraid to ask because the worst they're going to do is tell, you no. um, you know, you can't be fired for asking for, um, you know, more money. But if for some reason we've heard stories of like people being overlooked or told they're, you know, asking for too much and possibly, you know, 
losing a job down the road, they can't, it's not you know, directly tied to the asking for, but I always say, even if that is the scenario, the worst case scenario, well, you don't want to be there anyway. Who wants to work for a company that doesn't see you and want to pay you more in some way, shape or form? And sometimes you can't control the finances of the company you're working for. You know, for example, you know, at the, at my teammates at the gym, you know, we have, we're a startup and we have cash flow issues that every startup has. And so there's only so many um, things that we can, movements we can make around salary for employees, but I can find other ways to show and express and give options and other things to my team to show how much I, I, I value them. And when, you know, things do change, I'm able to pay people more um, and tell them and show them a path where they can make more and, you know, and encourage that. Like I am always open to any of my employees when you're talking about salary negotiation and asking for more, if you're not in a place where it's safe for you to do that and have those conversations. And even if they can't pay you more for their own, the business reasons, if they can't help you find a path to making more or getting to you to where you want to go, then that's not a long-term healthy relationship you should be in anyway. And most people, honestly, our clients negotiate 20, 30, $40,000 more leaving jobs. So sometimes it's even better to leave because you get a bigger, um, you know, you're, you see, we see bigger pay bumps when people leave employee employers. So certainly happening a lot now. I know at one point, because you happen to be living on the campus of your then husband's employer, you had an artificially low rent. Mm -hmm. Would you have done anything differently financially if you could go back in time? You know, we have this going on right now with clients who, um, don't have student loan payments right now because they've been paused from the government or, um, you know, maybe they've had some other, they're living at home now, you know, they went back to live with their parents. And so, you know, now they don't have rent. And so when we have clients who have these situations or a client who's paid up, paid off a car, great. You paid off a car, but you're probably going to have like repairs that you have to pay. So we encourage clients to save in a, like an almost a way of budgeting their money. So, um, if for example, we have, you know, I have had a client who's been living, lived at home through most of the pandemic. And we knew she was paying before that it was $2,000, a month for rent. So I was like, great, you're living at home. You need to be saving $2,100. So, cause you're not paying the rent. Like that has to go somewhere or, um, you don't have the car payment anymore, that $200 or whatever. Okay. We've got to create an automatic savings into a car savings account for $200. Cause you've been paying that expense. And what happens is if, when you stop paying it, if you don't set up some kind of metric for recapturing that money in a savings form, you're going to spend it. You know, it's like, it's because it's so easy to spend money and especially, you know, but it's in your bank account. So if you don't create these like systems that force you to make those smart choices, then you're going to lose the opportunity. So yeah, I would have saved the amount we were paying in rent from the previous place. And there were, there were a lot of different crossroads type of decisions that you're at. Um, and so you, you've been open about at around the same time, your son had been diagnosed with ADHD. It became clear that the school he was attending was not meeting his needs. How did you navigate that decision? Obviously, there's the, the side of it for his own needs, but whatever you decided was going to have a profound impact on the family finances. Yeah. Yeah. So he was going to go to the school that my ex-husband taught at, and that's why we were living on campus. And, you know, we 
saw him. That was kindergarten. He got in and we, and it goes, it's kindergarten through high school. So we saw ourselves on campus and having this, you know, ability to save, um, for a bigger home at some point down the road. That's what we were thinking about. We're like, we'll just keep saving, um, you know, using this opportunity to get ahead. And then, uh, yes, (laughs) my, uh, son had challenges within the first, the second day of that experience. And then finally, two months later, um, we did take him out and then it was, okay, where, where do we send him to school? There was literally only one rental in the town we wanted to move to. And, um, so that was it. We had to pay that we're renting. So we rented and it was game changing for my son. He was like a new kid within a matter of days and, um, and it was the right choice for him. And then, then it became, oh, now we got to buy a house because this is the district for him and for us. And then it'll be cheaper for us to buy than um, rent. But we weren't really totally prepared to buy a house because that was a goal that we were planning on, you know, a few years down the road. And so, um, you know, there we were again <laughs> in a challenging situation. I always tell clients, I'm like, I don't care what the situation is, what the emergency is, what the thing is, you just never know where life's going to go. Um, you never know what options you're going to want to make, have to make the choices you're going to make, but I never want money to impact the choices that my clients have. Like, I never want them to be like, Hey, we can't do this because of money. Um, and you know, I think the lessons that I've learned over the years are just that having some kind of, you know, strong financial health system in place gives you the most flexibility to have the most choices in these sort of situations. What advice would you have for someone else that might be buying a home that in the sort of in the middle of the process might realize that they might be short of funds? Yeah. Um definitely uh over planning for the amount you'll need is is something again we help with our clients. Uh, it's ideal to put 20% down, but there's a lot of mortgage options where you could put less than that down. So maybe you don't want to put as much cash down because once you own the home, like the problems are yours. Um, and always have a contingency fund after that because um you know, once you own the home, it's yours and the problems are yours too. And, you know, we've seen, um, clients and, and I, I've had, I mean, we, we closed on our house and it was like a month or two later, the toilet broke, like literally just kind of broke the, the bowl like that. It was just irreparable. Like you just need a new toilet and a new toilet was $300. I mean, I had no idea how much a toilet costs cause I never had to buy one, but, um, now I know. And then of course that, taking out the toilet caused uh, tile issues and the bathroom floor and then, you know, just all kind of compounds. I wanted to jump back to something that you were speaking of earlier. Uh, and that during the early days of your business, you always knew that you could go back to making a lot of money, you know, be mm-hmm. back in a good s- situation personally. So as you look back now, do you think knowing that in the back of your mind has helped you or hurt you and why? Um, I, I don't know if it's had, um, a thing one way or the other, maybe in the early days, it sort of hurt because I was really only one foot in the entrepreneurship journey and one foot out. Um, because I, you know, was like, this is really a two-year experiment. So, um, you know, maybe if I committed more energy early, earlier, that would have been different. Um, now it's like, 
you know, it's an interesting dynamic because I mean, it's not really an option for me now because, you know, 35 families rely on me sitting in the seat I'm sitting in. So, you know, when I had teammates or people like I can make more money, I'm like, so could I, I still can make more money than I'm making right now as a CEO of financial gym. I know for a fact, um, I get recruited all the time and, um, I know I can, but like, I have, you know, employees and, and investors who rely on me sitting in the seat. And so I don't really think about it anymore now. Cause it's like, it's just not an option. I mean, until as long as the gym is here and we're still growing and, you know, having uh, new opportunities presented to us, I'm still sitting in the seat <laughs> making a hundred thousand dollars a year, <laughs> which to some people might sound like a lot of money, but you know, or remind our I, listeners that you, you live in New York, like I yeah, do. And the, it's not, it doesn't yeah. go very far at all. And I remember having this conversation with my investors because I'm, I am divorced now and I have, you know, separate household. And I was like, it's like, how much do you really need? And I was like, I really need like 120,000. Like I, that's really kind of my number. He's like, well, why don't you start with a hundred? And, you know, we'll say, I was like, but I need 120. So, um, you know, so I was like, whatever, that was the choice I had. But, um, cause they were like, this is, you know, how much they valued me. Cause I have mostly, you know, equity in the business. So I'm wondering if you could share why you once described your finances, like a game of whack-a-mole. Mm. Yeah. So sometimes you have, you feel like you get things under control and then issues pop up. So that's, that's financial. Most people's financial journey in a nutshell is that, um, you know, whatever, maybe you're, you just got a pay increase, you got a new job and like, you're kind of, you're doing great. And then all of a sudden, you know, the car needs four tires or there's a healthcare emergency or, you know, somebody passed away and you've got to buy a plane ticket to go home in a weekend and those sort of things. That's like, you know, thousand to $2,000 surprises happen all the time. I always say it shouldn't be a surprise. Um, it's the only thing that should be surprising is what kind of emergency is it? Cause it, they pop up all the time. And, um, and so you're just kind of like constantly trying to keep everything under control and, but there's something's going to pop up at some point. That's the guarantee with finances. Like we have so many clients who we get them to the point of building up an emergency fund. They're so excited. And then an emergency happens, you know, and they're like, well, I don't want to use the emergency fund. We're like, but that's what it's here for. Like, there's a reason why, it's called an emergency fund. And there's a reason why you need it because these things happen. This is exactly what we're pl- planning for, but um, it's still hard when it happens. Cause you're like, well, I just wanted to see it keep growing, but those are the other funds We're like emergency funds meant to be spent mm-hmm. and not on credit cards. That's the point is like, you have the cash for it. It's not going on a credit card. Yeah. Um, and, and I, and I know during this period where there were more, whack-a-mole tendencies in your personal finances, you were seeking out some other alternatives like a home equity line of credit or a personal loan. And those didn't turn out to be an option. And ultimately you decided to sell your house. And I imagine that that was a very emotional decision at the time. How how do you feel about that decision looking back on it now? It was the right decision. So um, the house that we bought that we really couldn't afford to begin with, (laughs) that was in the district that my son needed. Um, we were living in them. We got divorced and, and I was still in the house with my mom and my son and our cat. And, um, and I did that for a year after the, the divorce and it was just too difficult for me to 
manage that. I couldn't, the gym wasn't at a place where I could give myself a raise. And, um, and I really wasn't like, I was really living paycheck to paycheck because the, um, all of that on my shoulders, I did have, you know, some child support, but it wasn't enough to cover the, the mortgage expense. So it was, uh, a January, um, like leading into the new year, I tell people, I do my financial plan, like I do for my clients. And I was sitting down kind of running through the numbers and I was like, and my mom had just moved out and I was like, this is just not sustainable. Um, and so I, um, I literally cried myself to sleep that night. Cause it was just like, I knew, and I texted my ex-husband, I was like, we got to tell Will like, you know, and he was, he was up for selling the house, my ex, because he was not living it anymore. And we did have equity in the home. So he wanted to sell it. So he was happy, but I was like, we're going to have to tell Will, which this was the house we'd been in for like the last five years. And so, um, it was like highly emotional. And it was funny that that morning I told Will, my son, I was like, you know, we're going to have to have a family meeting tonight. And, uh, he's like, am I in trouble? And I was like, no. And he's like, is this why you were crying last night? And I was like, oh, you could hear me crying. And he's like, yeah, you're a really loud crier. I was like, okay, thank you. Um, I was like, yeah, this is why I was crying last night. I was like, do you want to know? He's like, no, as long as I'm not in trouble, I don't care. I'll wait till later. I was like, what a, what a guy. Right. (laughs) So he, um, so then it was like telling him, you know, it was hard. And I, I was, you know, like, Hey, we can move to another town or whatever. And he's like, well, I don't want to leave my friends, you know, the same community. And then that became a challenge because there's not a lot of rentals in this community. It was like, now I got to figure out a way to keep him here, but we did. And, you know, we're in, um, a place that, you know, is definitely fits within the budget. And I'm glad we did because I did have to take a pay cut through most of 2020 to help keep the business afloat. And, you know, I would never have been able to do that in the last situation. And, um, you know, was able to, to do that here was able to do, um, we just put up our Christmas tree and my son and I, I told him when we sell the house, we'll have more, you know, disposable income and we could do some other things instead of being like tied to the house. So we went on a trip to universal and just he and I universal studios. And then he wanted hit so much fun. He wanted to go back and we were putting ornaments on the tree and we got ornaments from our two universal trips. And he was like, these were so much fun when we went to universal. Like, wasn't that so much, this is my 15 year old saying it, which they don't, you know, it's really hard to win over. Yeah. Yeah. And he was like, wasn't that so much fun? I was like, yeah, it was. And, you know, in those moments were able to happen because I didn't have the expensive home, you know, and we, and we have less and, you know, we don't, need as much as we did. And so, yeah, it was the right choice. Um, you know, probably should have done it sooner, but, um, it was everything. I always feel like everything happens at the right time. So, you know, glad we sold it. Don't, I don't even know if I'll ever own a home again. I, I just, I, it's, I don't think it's for me, but, um, happy to be a happy renter and, um, you know, have a rent that's within my ability to pay, even with a pay decrease. And and I know as you were preparing to sell the home, you had gotten advice that painting it would increase the resale value, which ultimately proved to be true. But at mm-hmm. the time, you didn't have the money to afford the painter. So how did you navigate how to proceed? Yeah. So um, yeah, we were told the paint the painting was going to be like five thousand dollars, and we didn't know exactly how much it was going to impact the uh, net worth or the, or the net results of selling the home, but we had, 
a very difficult, um, like living room area, very tall ceilings to paint. So it was like, and the paint that was on the walls was like oil-based. Like it was, we got a few different people look at it. And it was one of those situations where it's going to be really hard to DIY it between like having to rent scaffolding and try to figure out how to like solve for oil-based paint um, and do those things. So we were like, either way, it's going to cost us a few grand. Like, and we do, you know, we do think it could look better. Um, so yeah, it was, um, I, I ended up calling my dad and, um, that was one of the most painful conversations of my life. Um, and you know, we would have, I, the only other alternative was not doing it. We just didn't have the money, but I was like, well, let me call dad and see. And, um, I like, bawled my eyes out. Cause my dad is not the kind of person you call asking for money. He has more money than I can imagine. I haven't seen his full financial plan, but I can do like back of the napkin math. Like I, I know how much he makes generally speaking. Cause one of his partners was my client and I know he's very frugal. So I can imagine what, you know, he's built up over time, but, um, you know, I worst conversation ever to have, like, cause you just don't want to ask, you just don't want to ask your parent. I was 40. 40 years old at this point. And, um, it felt like another low moment of my life that I did not want to have to have, but, um, he, you know, he did loan the money and, um, and I did say I'd pay him back with interest and we did end up making significantly more on the house. And I did write him a check right away with the interest. And he did send me back the interest. Um, he didn't send me back the check, but he sent me back the interest. (laughs) So, yeah. Sometimes you're going to have to do painful things. You know, we have, uh, we have clients who have to do really painful and comfortable things. You know, like I said, sometimes the fixes are, you know, really, you know, serious. We had client who had to file for bankruptcy or bankruptcy was an option for her. And she had to tell her parents because she had a a loan to them. So essentially that loan was going to be washed out. And so she had to disclose to her parents that she was, you know, in that bad of a shape to do that. She had to tell her then boyfriend, um, because, you know, if they ever wanted to buy a house, cause they were talking about buying a house together and her credit was going to be crap for a while. So, uh, she had to share that and, um, and she did. And, you know, at the end of the day, like it may seem really painful or uncomfortable. The hardest part is just like getting out there and through it. Like her, her family was super supportive. They were like, she had another situation like me, like crying hysterically when she was doing it. And her parents were like, we thought you were dying. Like, cause she was so like, as she was presenting it, she was like hyperventilating. And they were like, we're just happy. You're fine. You're healthy. You know, like it's not a big deal kind of thing. And, um, She's since married the guy now and is in great financial shape. It, it was a reset. She needed that bankruptcy. So, um, you know, we've had clients had to have their for- homes foreclosed, had to, um, you know, not pay certain bills like risk eviction. I mean, it, there's some really uncomfortable things you have to go through um, for your fin- your finances sometimes. But, you know, like most things, they're not they don't last forever. Just moments of pain. Yeah. And actually, like in your case, you had that moment of reset. It sounds like when the home was sold because you're able to pay off your credit card debt, build up an emergency fund set aside for future goals. So with all these competing priorities in place, obviously, I'm sure it was pretty simple to know to pay off the credit card debt. But beyond that, how much to set aside for the emergency fund? How much for goals? How much for investments or retirement? How did you create that plan around your savings and investment accounts? 
Um, you know, it's different for everybody um, that we, we do this with clients a lot. And it's, um, you know, I did it similar, like with me, it's like, you know, there's some amount that should be saved for emergency funds. A general rule of thumb is three to six months of your monthly expenses. Um, so somewhere around there. Um, and then, you know, then it's thinking about the goals in order of when you expect them to happen. So like, if you do have a travel goal every year, okay, that money needs to be sooner than later. Um, if you have a home ownership goal, a business starting goal, a kid goal, like those are sooner than later. And then there's a the retirement goal planning. You know, a lot of times we're looking at advising clients to decrease the retirement contributions, focus and prioritize on saving for the goals that are more imminent. And, you know, what's interesting, but interesting is like, it was about two years ago, I guided this couple into that. It took them a while to kind of get what I was saying. Cause they were like, but our retirement savings. And, I'm, and I was saying, I'm not telling you to not save. I'm telling you to save where you're going to need and the order you're going to need the money. And so the retirement goals keep growing. Like they're like the markets have gotten, like their retirement keeps growing. And now they're prepared for the house. Like, and they were able to prepare for the house, um, you know, be like, because they weren't, you know, they had the, those other funds. So, so when we look at, you know, and I think, and I thought for myself and I think is like, okay, where do I want or need the money? And one of the goals that I did prioritize was travel and time with my son. Um, because I, you know, wasn't able to have that when I had the house and I feel like, you know, those kind of experiences, that's what we work for. That's what it's about. Not another car. Yeah. <laughs> those experiences. Yeah. yeah. Um, what advice do you have for others when the numbers just don't work out? In other words, when someone asks you if there's a magic solution out there, I think every single one of my trainers would say, we wish we knew that. And if we did, we would like, we'd be selling it. Um, there is no magic thing, but what happens is a lot of times we, we said people come to us and the puzzle puzzle pieces don't fit together. They're living paycheck to paycheck. Um, they can't figure out they've got debt, like, and, and the puzzle pieces are just everywhere and they can't fit it together. And what happens is that's when like some really tough decisions have to be made. Cause either the pie has to grow, meaning there's gotta be more income coming in or the pie, the pu puzzle has to get smaller, meaning we got to take out some big expenses, which could be the home you're living in, you know, which could be, um, you know, whatever the, the car you have, whatever the things are, um, that's the reason why the, puzzle, and what we actually lay it out for our clients, we, we say, okay, here's what the puzzle looks like. If we, here's what we'll have to cut out for it to work. And, you know, sometimes it's some big things and then, you know, people are like, well, I don't want to cut out. And we're like, okay, great. Well, let's turn to the next page. And here's what the income needs to look like. If you want all these things to happen. And we literally quantify, we help our clients quantify and address all their life goals. And we give them an income level that, that they'll need to have to support that. And We've had clients coming in making forty, fifty thousand dollars, and that income goal seventy, eighty thousand, and you know, and a lot of times they're like, "Whoa, it's a big number." We're like, "But that's the math, right? That's what you're going to need for all these things to happen, and it's your choice. Like, we could either cut back and make it work, and you can't stay in the same job. We keep, you know, keep going, and this is how the puzzle fits, or we're going to have to make it bigger, and this is the size it needs to be, and." Um, what's really special is a lot of those people did just didn't even know. They're like, I just didn't even know how much I need to make. Like I didn't know. And so once they set out on that journey, we see it happen all the time. Clients who are focused and like, and have the number, they go out and they start looking for the jobs that are paying that or, or 
if they're in the interview process, they're like, Hey, I got, I need to ask for this amount. This is my, this is what I need. And we have it. We have something we call gym magic at the gym. And that's when our clients have unexpected financial windfalls or like successes after joining the gym. And so we have a whole Slack channel of it. I can't even tell you how many entries we have in there of people who got the pay that we told them like, and, and it's significant. Like we told you to make 80 and you're making 82 and you were making 50 before. Like, and sometimes I say, how could I make that big leap? Well, why not? Maybe you're grossly underpaid before, but like you never know until you try. So you know, if the puzzle's not fitting together, there's a reason. And and usually it's a very uncomfortable next step to make it work. Either you got to go out and find the job or make more money or hustle and make more money, um, work harder or take away something that's could be emotionally very painful. There's a lot of hard work that's happening before the magic actually starts oh, yeah. to happen. Yeah. 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 Do the work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That's a consistent thing is the clients who do the work, get the magic, but it's not easy. As your personal finances improved, you were in a position to help the business when it had a cash flow issue or a friend in crisis. So, how did it feel as the roles were reversed? In other words, as you were the lender instead of the borrower? Yeah. I mean, you know, the best thing financial health gives you is choices and flexibility and options. And, um, and that's a, I, the greatest gift you can give to yourself. It's the best gift to be the lender, not the borrower. What are your long-term dreams, both for yourself and for the financial gym? Um, long-term dream is to ultimately sell the gym um, to uh, a great partner and continue to grow the gym, like a place where the gym will continue to grow and the philosophy of the gym will grow. Um, my goal is to sit in the seat until we're worked with over a million people. So I'm you know, here for a while, but um, would still love to run it even if we, if we sold it. And then um, my... Next chapter of life is to create the Golden Girls Fund, which um, Golden Girls was my favorite show growing up on my Saturday night entertainment. And um, the Golden Girls Fund will help fund and support early stage female um, founded businesses. Um, You know, an experience I've had over the last four years of dealing with investors and venture capital is um, really seeing firsthand how... um, challenging it is, especially for women, especially for people of color and, um, you know, other communities. It's a very, say, if you're not a white guy in a hoodie, it's going to be a very challenging experience, um, to raise money. And there's a lot of really great business ideas and not just raise money, but have like a support network, um, not just an investor who writes checks, but like an investor who can really support and help kind of be that, you know, business coach for you too. That's, that's the goal is like taking the collective, you know, kind of first chapter of entrepreneurship was me taking, um, you know, a lot of lessons I learned personally with finance and using those to help other people have financially healthier lives. This next chapter is taking everything I've learned from business and from raising money and helping other founders live financially healthier lives and build the businesses they want to build. So that's out there. Cool. Um, what advice would you have for your younger self? I know you talked about everything happened for a reason. You wouldn't want to change it. So I don't know, parallel universe where it's not really yourself. It's just a client that reminds you of yourself. What advice? Would yeah. You yeah. I mean, I, I always tell myself do everything exactly the same. Um, what I tell clients is, um, you know, is the best thing you can do, especially in early ages, 
you can really set up a foundation for a great life the earlier you start working on your finances and, and make financial health a priority. And I saw that when I was at Merrill Lynch um, and I was meeting with people who had 250,000 in assets, but that was everything. Like they were at the end of retire, you know, they're at retirement and they're, you know, this is the nest egg and this is it. And they wanted the plan. And a lot of times I did the plan and it was like, they had to keep working for a few more years or like they really needed some other income and really kind of beef up that fund or not start taking from it or not start taking like social security. And I would sit across from people who, you know, were 60 something and tell them they had to work more. And that was like telling somebody who just ran a marathon, you've got five more miles to go. Like it was very hard conversation to have. And, and I vowed during those times that I really wanted to get people early on in the marathon running and get them really trained up so that, you know, when they're at mile 15, I can tell them they could take their foot off the gas, you know, that because they worked on it from an early age and they've prioritized it, they have so many more choices as they get down the road because, you know, you just don't know how long, like, I mean, for me, I was always like, I'll work forever, but I'm like, maybe I'll get to 60 and not want to keep working, you know? And it's a horrible place to be in to have to work when you don't want to work. So, um, you know, it's really like prioritizing that. And that's really been my focus and the work with my, my clients and our clients is like, the important thing is you could change your financial health at any age. I just want to be very clear about that. It doesn't matter how old you are. Um, you can change your financial health, but changing it from an earlier age, the, con- the, ch- the compounding and the effects are extreme. What is your favorite part of your podcast, Martinis and Your Money? Mm. I always love people's stories. I love finding out people's journeys. I, you know, I've, had podcasts. Uh, I've been in mastermind groups and mentoring groups. And like a lot of people say, Oh, I hate when the, the host is like, so tell me about your journey and tell me how you got here. And, and I'm like, that's like my starting question. And cause I want to know, like, I want to hear how somebody perceives their journey. And I want to, um, you know, what do they prioritize? Like what parts of their life do they think are, what they want to share? And then, you know, finding out more about them, you know, I get asked a lot about, books or resources I like. And I'm like, people are the best resource. People's stories and journeys are so you learn from them all the time. I mean, it's, I learn. I've been doing, I'm on over 400 episodes and I continue to learn every time I record a podcast. And I love that. And what inspired you to share your story with others? I, I think especially my, my financial story. Um, the biggest reason is that, you know, people have a lot of fear and shame around their finances. There's a lot of um, like tabooness around money and people are just walking around with, you know, too much shame unnecessarily before whatever they look like financially. And it was just really important for me to share like what, you know, finances look like and, and decisions and to understand for people to understand, like it's all, you know, it's normal, it's fixable. Um, you know, to be approachable. I mean, I, again, we've worked with over 10,000 plus clients now at this point, I always say the problems are the same. The zeros are different. I mean, there's the same challenges as somebody making $700,000 as somebody making 40. I mean, different degrees, but, um, you know, very similar challenges. We're more alike than different when it comes to finances. Any final thoughts? I just, I, 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 the biggest lesson I've learned over the last nine years of building this business is just that um, 
is to, you know, understand that money is a mindset shift and, or it's all like about mindset and, um, you know, working on that, prioritizing it, um, has compounding effects over time. Thank you, Shannon, so much for joining us. We learned so much uh, about your journey as an entrepreneur and all the twists and turns of your personal finances. And we're so glad to see where you and the financial gym goes in the future. Thank you. Well, that's a wrap for today. If you'd like to hear more from Shannon, please check out www.martinisandyourmoney.com. Special thanks to Hero for our theme music, which will play us out. Here's hoping each of you enjoy your journey of financial wellness as much as your destination. Welcome back, Hero.